Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Hi, this is John Christopher for Real Life, and today I thought I'd do something a little different. Uh, unfortunately, a dear friend of mine recently passed away. In his memory, I'd like to rerun an interview we had. He was a kind, full of humor gentleman, but more importantly, a great humanitarian, which you'll shortly understand. And now, the legendary Mr. Ranger himself, Rod Gerber. Hi, Rod. How are you? John, it's a pleasure being here with you, especially in this deck of the wood where uh, I've made my summer residence here for many, many years out east, and uh, I'd be happy to uh, to share a few moments with you. Great. You know, let's start off with, uh, I'm sure you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Blink, where they, they did a survey in Canada, and they found that the date you were born going into first grade determined whether you'd be a great hockey player or a so-so one. So what month were you born? I was born on July 1st, which did not affect any of my uh, hockey uh, situation uh, versus playing with uh, uh, smaller kids. Uh, but, but, but it is a fact that, uh, that the majority of, of the professional players have been uh, uh, born in, in the early months of maybe January, February, because there was a cutoff. Right, there's uh, a cutoff at school. Whether it's right. like August 31st or something, so these kids had like seven, eight months uh, advantage on the right. other on the other kids, and they probably progress a little faster, develop a little easier, like keeping a, a, a kid back in school. Right, you right. Know, if he certain months, it, they, it applied in hockey as well. But not in your, uh, but in your case, it was just that it didn't apply to me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you don't know. That what was happened. an exception. <laughs> Well, that's right. Well, you are an exception. I mean, that's that's what it was. So you were born near Montreal, and and how did you find the adjustment coming to New York as a 19-year-old? Well, it all started when I was 16, John. Uh, uh, I I went. The New York Rangers had one scout, believe it or not, in the province of Quebec, and um, I was discovered uh, there at the age of 14 by him, and, and he was a coach for an, an industrial league club, and. And then uh, I was offered a chance to develop with the Montreal Canadiens, like their farm team, which was a junior team in Ottawa at the time. And my older brother, John, uh, advised me that uh, it would be preferable to, to follow the Rangers path because uh, I'd have better chance, less kids. Uh, you mean less competition? So? Less, more, a lot less... Uh, applicants you know like mm -hmm. uh, and there were only seven of us from montreal that uh, left for outside of ontario when you say seven are you talking about in your family what i'm saying about opportunities is like let's say you have a junior team and uh, you have 40 kids that are going to apply for that uh, one or two position uh, but in this case the club Guelph, Ontario, which was a farm team, a direct farm team of the New York Rangers, 
actually had lost 11 players of that junior team. Because what once happened? you get 20, you play junior from the 16. If you're good at 16, you play until you're 20, and then you turn pro. I see. So on that particular year, the Rangers farm team was really, really good, and they had lost 11 of their players they through age. Right. And so it gave me an opportunity to play there. And on the other hand, the Montreal Canadian junior team only had lost one. So I was much better off. But it was difficult because they changed the language on me, John. <laughs> I, I get to... Uh, you were speaking to, French at the time? All the time. I never learned English in Montreal. Like, I mean, I came from a, um, a community that uh, uh, out east of Montreal, like, there's no English spoken. We didn't take English in school. And uh, it was difficult to, to, to ask a girl if you... They put me back in school. In high school, like my last year of high school, and I could not ask the girl if I could carry her books home. Right. So how are you going to get kissed that way? <laughs> you know, so, but it was an experience that I cherish today because it gave me an opportunity to learn another language. And I played there for four years in Guelph, Ontario. And then at the age of 19, I, uh, I had, uh, actually it was the age of 18 they had it at Madison Square Garden, like the last game. Uh, they showed me, me in, a, in a trivia, uh, showing Chubby Checker, uh, let's do the twist. And the same year as uh, I came to New York for my first game, it was 1960. And I didn't remember it. But I remember my first game vividly because the lights of New York, when they came in, you know, from uh, Kennedy Airport, and then uh, do the Long Island Expressway, I mean... And then you see the vision of uh, right at 34th Street, like with the Empire State Building and the skyline of New York. And then my experience was like uh, I was standing at the, not for the national anthem, in Madison Square Garden next to my two heroes. Because these two heroes of mine had played where I was playing in Guelph. And uh, Andy Bathgate and Harry Howells. As a matter of fact, their numbers are retired at Madison Square Garden as well. Well, besides yours, right. And uh, I recall, like, immediately after the National Anthem, there was one big harasser of, the, of Harry Howell in particular, which was a big guy, and he was supposed to be rougher and uh, be a revelation for the New York Rangers, be the tough guy. And he was a finesse player. And uh, this particular fan didn't like it, so he immediately, when it was silent, he could hear his voice from the, uh, the balcony above. Harry, hit him with your pocketbook. <laughs> and I couldn't believe that guy said that. I said, well, these are our own fans, you know. They right, can, and they're saying I, I better work hard here <laughs> if I don't want them to yell names at me. So that's how I started in the Rangers. And then they was sent me back to the juniors. And then I had an unfortunate moment where I had a fractured back. And they had sent me all the way to the Mayo Clinics in Minnesota and to do a spinal fusion. And then I missed an entire year. And then I played a few games in the professional minor league and 20 games. And then um, I came back in the playoffs against the Maple Leafs. And I was uh, a sensation at that time because I scored two goals in the first period. And 
the people are really happy with me. I bet. So, but uh, that must have been a difficult time when, uh, with the um, problems with your back. Was there something that kept you going that said, okay, I'm going to overcome this? Well, at that stage, I, I just had been nominated the number one player in Canada. And that's all. So you're I, at the peak. You're, I was at the peak of the, the top prospect. Let's say there would be like uh, 100,000 kids, you know, vying for a position. I would be the first pick. And, uh, and then now I'm, I'm a no pick. <laughs> I was like, right. I, and, and I said to the doctor, what happened is like when I got to the Mayo Clinic, the, the doctor looked at my x-rays and, and he said, wow. We need to perform a spinal uh, fusion on you, and I says, "Well, go ahead. I mean, uh, I want to. I want to play hockey." Well, he says, "I can't promise you that, but you can own a hospital." Because he had knowledge of when I did break my back at, at in Guelph, they sent me to the hospital, and I was paralyzed, and then they put me in traction, and then they give me a chiropractor. And then they put me back on the ice oh. with a fractured, uh, he says, you, you know, we're going to try our best, but. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee you're going to play hockey, but we're just going to try to make you walk, okay? But uh, I said, I don't want to hold a hospital. Right. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to play hockey. He says, well, let's see. We'll see to that. Right. Uh, we have to take a short break here, uh, Rod. Uh, this is John Christopher for Real Life, and we'll be right back with Rod Gerber, Hall of Famer, and it's our delight. Thank you. Welcome back to Real Life. This is John Christopher, and we have Roger Bear, who is a uh, National Hockey League Hall of Famer. We were in conversation there, Rod, about what had happened uh, with you when you were playing hockey and some of your teammates. One of the things I wanted to ask you, though, was uh, did anybody become a mentor along the way or that you still remember? Yes, of course. Uh, my mentor uh, is my bigger brother, which was six years difference than me. As you know, hockey is a difficult game and it's like an intimidating game. And uh, when you're ex excelling in hockey as a youngster, you have to play, in order to develop, you have to play against bigger kids and more like uh, older kids. And the problem was like they tried to intimidate you and so when I was 12 years old, I used to play against a 16 years old, and he used to beat me up. <laughs> and I had an older brother that was a hockey player. He never made it to any big uh, situation league, but uh, he every, every time like some kid uh, on the block tried to intimidate me and, and try to injure me, uh, he would wait for them after the game by the bus stop and beat the dickens out of them. You just beat them up. I said, like, let my kid play. Let my younger brother play. Like, you can't be spearing him. You can't be crossing him in the head. And so I got to play against the bigger kids. And, and he's also responsible for choosing my decision to go to Guelph instead of like the Canadians, wow. which uh, 
uh, the, the path was a lot easier for me. Is he still around, your brother? Yes. He's uh. 83 years old, and I talked to him almost... Um, every day? Every day. Can we get a shout-out to him? What's his name? Jean-Marie. Hey, Jean-Marie, wherever you are, <laughs> shout-out <laughs> yeah, to you. <laughs> you know, I talked to him now. He's 83, and and, and uh, he's doing well. And, God bless and, But they, they, I says, where were you? He says, I went out for breakfast with my friends. You know, they have a bunch of friends. I said, we belong to a club. I said, what kind of club? What's the name of your club? Oh, he says, uh, where are we hurting today? <laughs> Tamalu in French, you know. Right, right. Tamalu, like where they talk about the knee. Like every day is a different place, different. right? The shoulder <laughs> and the, I, my neck is killing me. So it's, different it's called a Malu Club. <laughs> and I laughed. That is funny. Now, you're still the highest score for the uh, New York Rangers. Uh, it's a title that hasn't been broken, and it must have been exciting getting there. Uh, obviously, you're a goal-oriented guy. No pun intended on that. But um, when did you realize that you had a shot at that uh, title that's been unbroken? You know, you never... You never do. I don't, you know, like uh, when you progress, you find success as you go along a different level. You know, if I was a peewee at 12 years old, I'd play against the 12 years old. The score is 9-1. I have eight goals. So you, you're confident. And then when you're 14, you're playing with men. And then you see like you're just as good as them. And these people have been developing all their their lives. I mean, right. they were, I was playing in an, in a garage league, you know, with a grown up man that worked, and but they had been pros, like, but not in the NHL. But you know, they. So I was holding my own against them at fourteen. So by sixteen, now we're developing professionally by sixteen years old. So from sixteen to twenty. You play almost at, at the level of the NHL because all the kids are, are really, really good in these uh, uh, higher junior A league. It's just a step be, below the NHL. And so I was the best player there, like the, won the scoring title, the most valuable, so on. And, and then you come to the Rangers and everything has to fall in place. You know, you right. have to have the right teammates. And we, we did not have a really good team, like the a complete teams with the Rangers, comparatively to other teams. And the, there were only six teams, John. At the time. And so right. the Chicago Blackhawks, the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Detroit, they had Gordy Howe they, and the Canadians. Forget, you know, they had won 25 Stanley Cups. They won every year. And Toronto was like the same. They had all the recruitment of all the kids from Canada, from the province of Ontario. So they, they, had a, they had a huge advantage hmm. on the other four teams. And uh, that's, that's what happened. And, and I, I sort of, year by year, I saw the development of the Rangers bringing new, new kids. They brought Brad Park. Then they traded uh, for a kid in the minor league for seven of the younger players. They got Eddie Jockerman, a Hall of Fame goalie. Right. So Rattel had played with me since I was 10 years old, and we did play in Guelph together. And then we, we chose this left-wing big field and became the gag line. 
And that line was the best line in, in the NHL at the time. Yeah, it's legendary. Their right. gag line. As a matter of fact, Vic had feels Jean Rattel's uh, number 19 was retired at the rafter, put his name, uh, his number up there last year, and uh, Vic Adfield will be this year. So the three of us are going to be up in the rafters. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's kind of exciting, you know, to have the three of us there. Oh, awesome. That is awesome. Um, Tough to score a goal from there, though. <laughs> <laughs> but we scored enough. Well, but you, I'm sure. So uh, getting back to what you were saying with the goals, I mean, there must have been a point. Was it just because you were always making goals that you didn't even think about that you were going to be the high scorer? And just that was your motivation. Let me get a goal. Let me get a, a goal. Well, it, de it depends with how you, you associate the game, you know, like how you, you visualize the game and you, f you find that what your strength is. You know, it's like the most important thing uh, in hockey is probably the goaltending. Like if you're a goaltender, but there's only two of those. Right. So then, then I didn't like to be a goalie because uh, the, the, the goalies didn't wear any masks. Right. That's another thing I wanted to get to. And then, yeah. and plus, like in the winter, we used to play outside, and if you stayed still. You froze. <laughs> you froze to death. And then furthermore, like we used to have everything for a puck. We used to use a, a tennis ball. We used to mastic uh, tapes. And we'd lose our pucks in the snowbanks. And then my dad was a blacksmith. So there was like some horse manure, you know, like it's called road apples. And that used to freeze in the winter. And we used to use those for, for a puck. That was okay, that, but that springtime is not good. Not for, good. If you're especially a goalie, if, especially if you get hit by it, <laughs> so you're not good for a goalie. <laughs> so so I didn't want to be a goalie. I wanted to be the shooter, right? And I developed that shot because of Andy Bathgate, because he. I played with him for three years when I did my ascension to the Rangers. Right. He was my mentor, and. Uh, he was a, one of the top, top players in the NHL, won the scoring title, and I emulated him like so much. And he had all kinds of uh, <clears throat> uh, secrets where he, uh, he curved the blade of his stick a little bit, and he was the first one to do it. And he was a true artist, I mean, uh, and an innovator of the game. And I watched him all the time. You know, like, uh, I want to come back and We'll have, a, have you come back on again in, in just a moment. We're going to have a short break. Uh, this is John Christopher for Real Life, and we'll be right back with our wonderful guest, Roger Bear, National Hockey League Hall of Famer. Hi, this is John Christopher, and I'm back with my wonderful guest, Roger Bear. Uh, hi, Rod. I'm glad you're back here again. We're good. I mean, we're we're talking about interesting uh, stuff that uh, that were very valuable. Yeah, you know, coming to New York, yeah. uh, living in Long Island, right? And that's in Long what I, Beach. Long Beach. Why? Why because were you guys all living? Because the players in? that were actually playing for the New York Rangers uh, discovered that. Uh, a lot of people from Long Beach, which is a, a beach community, uh, lived in the 
left in the winter time to go to Florida, and they rented their home, like uh, for like a hundred dollars a month or two hundred dollars a month, and we were the least paid uh, of professional all of all the sports, and so my first year, for instance, was making seven thousand dollars. My first year, amazing, and uh, we could not afford, you know, like a big uh, housing situation, and and we all. So would you room with other guys, with some of the other players in the house? No, they most of the guys had their family, but oh, I had right. a I had a roommate. Yeah, right, right. We shared a shared a place, and and it was like uh, the community of Long Beach accepted the Rangers, and then as it turned out, uh, in the in the middle of my career, they, we started practicing there, and they built an arena right there in Long Beach, and the community was welcoming. The players were well-known, and they were all Ranger fans. And, and what happened is like the players were always together. The families were together. The, schools went, the kids went to schools together. And uh, it made for unity, you know, and tremendous team spirit. And uh, that's how we, we developed the game. You know? Right. We had a great coach and, and general manager. His name was Emil Francis. And he was the uh, architect of all that, uh, us living in that area in Long Island, in Long Beach. Did the water bring you to um, out here in the Hamptons? I mean, having been at Long Beach, you obviously you like water, and you're on the water now, so there must be some correlation. Of course, uh, you know, there, there's no place like, you know, the Hamptons, and, and I've been a resident. Uh, my wife had the vision to build a house uh, in uh, Sag Harbor, and we were there for the last 10 years. And, and now uh, maybe you'd be happy to know that uh, we had a, a contact that uh, his name was John Christopher that found us a beautiful home that we purchased uh, a couple of months ago to replace the old one. So thank That's, you, John. No, well, thank you. That's very kind of you, Brock. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of, uh, we were talking before about, uh, you had mentioned that you guys didn't wear helmets or face masks. The, the goalies didn't have that. What was that like? I mean, that must have been. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, what was it like? It was like you don't know any better. Right. <laughs> you know, like, if you wore a helmet uh, in those years, it was like writing on your forehead, I'm chicken. Uh-uh. <laughs> And so you'd get hit a lot more. Right, right. They aim so for you. Nobody wore a helmet. And how can you wear a helmet when the goalies don't wear masks? And they get hit in the face like all the time. Right. So I've had my share of concussions. Like I counted about five throughout my career. But is that from not from the puck, but from other players? From falling down, a, my, hit my head on the ice and, mm. and uh, getting... Getting whacked by the the bigger players, you know, like a elbow in the head, or or diving into the boards head first without stopping, stopping. with my hands. Right, and uh, kind of hard an, a little bit, isn't it? I mean, on the ice. I mean, the boards they didn't move. They didn't move too far. I Do mean, they move now? And is the ice is very difficult. The <laughs> ice is very hard. It's called hard ice. So right? I, but Frozen. the reason you know that you have a concussion, first of all, you pass out. And just before you pass out, you have this electric shock that goes from the top of, right below your neck, the top of your spine, all the way to your coccyx. And it goes, bang, you pass out. And that's it. So you you felt that shock. And then 
then you wait for the ammonia to come to, to kick in because <laughs> they wake you up and it says, okay, let's so go. Let's go. The, <laughs> go game, the game's going on here. Come on. And so they drag you to the bench and you take, there's no protocol then. What? No, we didn't go to the hospital. You just keep playing. But now it's much different. You know, if somebody has had his bell rung, you know, they take him in the back and there's doctors and they give him a test and they don't let them back on the ice like they did us. Right. We, if we were like uh, injured or seriously cut or something, they just stitch you right there. No anesthesia. They just stitch you and they put you back on the ice because it was such a privilege to play at that level. You did it. That you, if you didn't, you get replaced. Because right. the coach, and the, they say, well, he, he's scared a little bit. I asked one guy one time, he put me back on the ice after a severe concussion. Why he did that? Why he, why he allowed me to? Well, he says, your mom, my mom was at the game for the first time. And in, in New York, it happened. And I dove into the board head first. And she saw me unconscious. And she, so the coach come in. He said, your mom is really worried about you. How do you feel? What should I tell her? I says, well, tell her I'm fine. Well, he said, then lace him up. So he sent me back out there. And so later on in life, you know, like maybe 10 years ago, like he was like 85 years old. And we honored him uh, as a former coach and general manager of the Rangers. And I asked him why he did that. He says, well, it's like falling off the bicycle. You had to get back on. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't I knock you on your butt right now? And then if you don't get back up, you're going to be afraid of walking, right? <laughs> he didn't like that. Of course. Uh, he disrespect. I said, why did you disrespect me that much? Right. He says, well, it was the thing. That's the way it was. It was, exactly. If I did that, then you did it. Now, you're involved with a, a couple charities, right? Uh, which oh, is, many charities. Can you many, tell us many we have charities. Two, we have got a couple minutes, so tell us, because I know you're very big Well, I'm that. still employed by Madison Square Garden, you know, to uh, do their, their community relations. And I am play the role of an ambassador, and uh, I do their marketing. I'm the president of the Alumni Association. You know, some of the players fell on hard times after they... They terminated their career and uh, their children. So we, we do have a, an alumni foundation, that which I, um, I head up. And then we, at Madison Square Garden, we have a, a wonderful, wonderful charity called Garden of Dreams. And we raise close to $10 million like, with wow. the Knicks, with the Rangers, with Liberty. Every employee is like, chip in. And, and we have one major, major charity that we all uh, uh, sponsor. And also we have the Ronald McDonald House, which we have a skate with the great. Every year we skate at Rockefeller Center. And does Ronald, uh, does he skate uh, also? The kids come, I mean. The, no, the, the, the character for McDonald's, you know. The Ronald, Ronald McDonald guy, like the clown. It, yeah, the he's, he, we put him on the ice. Uh, he, <laughs> his, his feet are too big. He can't put skates on. <laughs> but uh, we, we do have... Uh, you know, ALS, uh, we sponsor ALS. We, we have uh, many, many charities. That, uh, That's wonderful. And I have my golf tournament. Somebody asked me to honor them with uh, being the honorary chairman one year for a golf tournament at Pine Hollow in uh, Muttontown, the, the two golf courses, for one year. 
Guess what? We celebrated our 25th last year. Wonderful. That is cool. Diabetes. It's called American Diabetes Institute. How can, is there any uh, way that uh, people can donate to some of these charities? Uh, is there like a website or something that they can go to? Or Well, I would suggest they go to the Garden of Dreams because I'm, I'm in. The Garden of Dreams. Yeah, Garden okay. of Dreams Foundation. And then uh, we have so many events. That's wonderful. And uh, we have 20 partners. I wish we had more time here, Rod, but yeah. we got to wrap this up. It's been a delight having you on the program. This is your host, John Christopher, for Real Life. Thank you so much, Raj Gerber, NHL Hall of Famer, for sharing your thoughts tonight. You have been listening to Real Life the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.